thanks a lot. Thanks, Joe. I was singing that song with you at the end when it says, he gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. What's interesting about that is when God decides to give me something and he blesses me with something, it's so easy to respond with, thank you, God, and praise him and, and worship him. Just like Ohio State gave the game to Michigan yesterday. I mean, literally, Michigan fans were praising the Lord. But it's the other side of that that is really hard. How do you go through suffering? How do you let, allow the Lord to take something away and allow your heart still to say, blessed be the name of the Lord? As a pastor, I have a, the privilege of, of praying for those of you who put in prayer requests at our campuses. And I'll be honest with you. I don't look at them every week. And I don't pray for them every week. It's a burden. It's a good burden. It's a burden. Because I, I, I can't imagine some of the things that you're going through. Some of the things that you just write in. This is what I need prayer for. I need prayer for my marriage. I need prayer for my finances. One mom wrote, I need prayer that my son, who is severely autistic, would just be able to get his clothes on so we can have Thanksgiving together and so that family and friends won't want to leave. How do you say blessed be the name of the Lord after those things and even the unspeakable things that you don't write in every week? How do you, how do you suffer and go through pain and yet Still not turn your back on God. As we conclude our wisdom literature series today, we've looked at the seven deadly sins through the book of Proverbs. We looked at the book of Ecclesiastes and how God brings meaning to the meaningless. And today we're going to end with the book of Job. Job has 42 chapters, and so we're not going to be able to look at everything in Job, but I want to take you through the story. Because somehow Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord, even though he goes through hard times. And I want to show you how you and I can do that as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn right to Job chapter 1. We're going to jump around today, but we'll start here. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. And this is Job's regular practice. So in the first five verses or so, we start to see the answer to this question, what was Job like? What's interesting is Job had a lot of money. <laughs> he had a lot of things. He was the richest man in that area. And yet, what we read about him is that he was a man of integrity. They use words like blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God. He stayed away from evil. This is my dream description to be put on my gravestone someday. 
that I lived this kind of life before God and before others. And people could truly say this and not have to lie about me because I didn't live this way. There is no better thing to be described as, not some rich dude, but a person of blameless character. In fact, he was so blameless, Job, he had 10 children. God bless him. (laughs) I have four and it feels like 40. He had 10. And that number in the Bible is the number of completeness, which means on the outside, his life matched what was on the inside. Complete, whole, integrity. And not only that, Job, he had seven or ten kids, and he was like an all-star dad. He made sure to get up and pray for and offer blessings and sacrifices for his kids just in case they sinned against God. He cared so much about others, so much about God's character, that he lived it out loud. Which brings us to this question. So what will Job do? You see, Job's life right now, at least on the surface, looks great, near perfect. But Satan, who's personified evil in the Bible, believes that he can trap Job and have him turn his back on God. And unbeknownst to Job, God and Satan have a conversation and make an agreement about Job. Here's what happens. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan asked the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, well, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless. Man, complete integrity. Fears God, stays away from evil. And it, said, it shouldn't say Job here. Replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. Satan says, you have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. Reach out and take away everything he has and he surely will curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything that he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. This detail is not given to Job, nor will it ever in the whole book of Job. We have Satan who comes to God, and he's been looking for someone to devour. And God says, well, have you tried to devour Job? God has Satan in his control. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Satan is on a leash. It's a long leash, but it's a leash. But he lets out this leash a little bit longer and says, go ahead. Do whatever you want to Job. But I'm telling you, he will stay true to me. And Satan goes, yeah, he stays true to you because look what you've given him. Beautiful wife, 10 kids, wealth beyond imagination. Of course he's not going to curse you, but let me take it away. Let me test him. Let me try to puncture the faith. You give, but let me take away and see if he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. What if that was us? What if this happened to us where there was agreement with God and Satan and all the things God's given us, he ends up taking it away or taking a lot of it away. How would we respond to that? What's interesting is, We see right away, Job, 
gets tested beyond what we can understand. Summary of Job 1 through 13, 19 puts it this way. Job's servants, they're murdered. His animals stolen or killed. That's terrible. That's awful. But then we see this. His 10 children are killed after a storm collapses the house. I'm a dad of four kids. My wife and I had a miscarriage before we had the four. And I remember the pain that I felt, but 50 million times worse than what my wife felt. And that was a child that wasn't born. I can't imagine losing a child or all my children at that point. (laughs) That's the point where I probably would give in. How could you do this to me? We read Job's response. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. Worship! He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. A lyric we just sang. The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord's taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And verse 22, in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Blameless. Integrity. I mean, rock star faith right here. Somehow, this guy did not blame God, which is exactly what I would have done. (laughs) And you probably would have too. Satan sees this. Satan sees that Job, he's, he's not moving yet, so Satan wants to turn up the heat a little bit more. We read in Job 2, verse 4, Satan replied to the Lord, Skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan says, look, I went at his kids, and that must have been so painful, but somehow he stayed faithful to you. But if I start making him suffer physically, then he will turn on you. Because if you're like me, when I'm in physical pain, I crack pretty easily. My wife calls my colds a man cold. When I have a man cold, I feel like my life is over. I feel like God has abandoned me, and I just have, like, a sore throat. But what Job is about to go through is nothing of that nature. He, throughout Job, we realize he is emaciated, shriveled, His body, his swollen eyes, boils on the skin, fever, unsightly appearance, itchy skin, diarrhea, constant aching, bad breath. It reminds me of the commercial where you're wanting a medicine and it's going to treat a disease, but then they tell you all of the side effects, which is way worse than what you're taking the medicine for. (laughs) But this is exactly what Job is going through. All of these things physically he's going through and his wife sees him suffering sees that God allowed the kids to be devastated, or his house to be devastated, kids to be taken away. And so his wife says probably what you and I would say in this moment. Just curse God and die. I mean, this God, whom you worship, took it all away. And now he's allowing this to happen to you. Just curse him. He's obviously not good. He obviously doesn't care about you. If he did, he wouldn't let you go through this. So give up on him. And then somehow Job responds to his wife. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. That is very dangerous to say, but he said it anyways. (laughs) Talk about suffering from the Lord. He's about to suffer. (laughs) You talk like a foolish woman. And then he says, 
Should we accept only good things from the hand of God? Never anything bad? I mean, he's suffering physically. His kids have been taken away. His house, his servants, everything's gone. He says, God blessed us with this stuff. Who am I to question if he takes it away? Now, at this point, I don't think I could respond this way. I think I would respond with three words. Why? 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 Isn't that the question that you and I ask when we go through pain and suffering often? Why did you allow this to happen, God? Now, remember, Job, he does not see What's happening behind the scenes? He doesn't know about Satan and God. He doesn't know about this agreement. He just thinks this is happening to him because God's just letting it happen. He doesn't say why, at least not yet. I would be a lot earlier than him. And when it comes to suffering, I think there's three reasons why we suffer. The first two are very easy to explain. A lot of times we suffer because we're dumb. And we make dumb choices. We are very selfish people. We want to do whatever fits our narrative, makes us feel really good, and gets what we want. And when we operate out of that, we make dumb decisions that hurt other people and hurt ourselves. So some of us are suffering in here because of the choices we've made. Now, you can blame God all you want. You have the right to do that. But I think God probably says back to you, um, I did not make you do that. I gave you free will. You chose to do that, and you're suffering, and other people are suffering, but I did not make you do that. Others of us are suffering because the second reason of what other people have done to you. Some of you woke up one day. Some of the people that love you the most betrayed you, and you still can't get over that. How can you? Or someone does something behind your back at work, makes you lose your job, or because of someone's greed, they do something that hurts you or whatever that is. Some of the pain happens because other people are selfish. But it's the third category that I don't know how to explain. Why do some things happen when you've done nothing wrong? You're doing everything pretty right. You didn't hurt yourself. You didn't hurt anybody. It just came, it seemed like, from God himself. What do you do with that? And for Job... He's at that point where he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know this third way of suffering. And so Job's buddies come on the scene in John chapter, or John, Job chapter 3. And for the next 35 chapters, Job's friends think they understand why God has done this to him. At first, they're really good friends. When Job's suffering, they come and they say nothing. You know why they say nothing? Because that's what people need when they're suffering. They don't need cliche answers from you. They don't need to always need to know why. They don't need you to fix it. They just need to know they can count on you if they want to cry on your shoulder or they want someone to listen to or talk to. They just want you there. And at first, Job, he's suffering. All these things happen. The friends are good friends. Until after a while, they're like, you know what? Let's take a crack at this while you're suffering, Job. And for 35 chapters, they're trying to figure out why God would allow this to happen. And there's pretty much two categories of where their questioning comes. One, they said, surely, Job, 
you must have caused this because you did something wrong against God. But we know the answer to that, don't we? He didn't do anything. Here's Jesus and here's Job. <laughs> He's almost perfect. I mean, the guy's going to bat for his family and other people, not just himself. He is like the model citizen of Jesus follower, Christian person. So it can't be that. Well, then they think, well, if God is good, then he won't allow bad things to happen to good people. You ever hear that argument? First of all, none of us are good. You may think you're good <laughs> until you start to look at your own heart. You're like, oh, not so good. <laughs> if you think you're good, just look at Jesus, look at yourself. That kind of shows you which side we're on here. Job, though, was very good, and yet God allowed bad things to happen. So what do you do with that? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What does he do? Well, Job starts to express himself now. In the midst of these questions and friends' bad advice, start to say what he really feels. He says things like this, May the day of my birth perish in the night that I said a boy is conceived. He's literally like, I wish I wasn't even born. For what I've had to go through, I just wish God didn't even create me. Or he says things like, Why have you made me your target? Have they become a burden to you? All of a sudden he's like, Okay, God, I know you're taking this out on me. What have I done? Why are you practicing target practice on me? Why do I have a bullseye on me? What have I done to you? All the wealth that you gave me, I gave back to you. I treated my kids well. I had a blameless heart. Like, why? He also says, does it please you to oppress me? To spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? There have been so many times where I'll see somebody like, the worst of the worst, a murderer or a child molester, they, they get off on that. They don't even have to go to court for it. They, somehow there's a technicality in the case and they just go home and, and innocent. But then there's other people that are just good people that they suffer. And that's what Job's saying. I have done good, but you're coming at me. While all these other people that I know have not done any good and yet you don't punish them. How can this be? So you have Job saying this in the midst of trying to figure out what God's doing. And then you have him saying this. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. <laughs> Though God is allowing this to happen to me, and he's knocking me down and slaying my soul, I still worship him. Or when he says in Job 23.10, but he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. God's using this to make me even more pure than I am. How is this possible to go from these words to this word? You know why? One word. Faith. A lot of times when we talk about faith, we feel it has to be sanitized. I'm going to praise God when he gives. Praise God he's doing this. Thank you so much, Lord. And then when our faith struggles or we doubt, we don't want to say anything to God. We feel guilty to even going to him as we are. But that's what faith is. Just like in your closest relationship with someone, you will go to them as you are. You won't clean yourself up like we do on social media. You're going to go to that person. Here's how I fear. Here's how I am. And what do they do? They accept you. They're thankful that you trusted them with what you're going on in your life. It's the same thing with the Lord. 
faith is not just telling God all the good things. It's also telling God the bad things. It's questioning God. It's blaming God. It's doubting towards God. As long as you're doing it towards him. It's what this quote says. I love it. Confronted with inexplicable injustice, it's better to be irate than resigned. If you're not irate with what God is allowing to happen in your life and you're taking that to him and you just accept it, oh, that's not faith. You're going to walk away from God. I see people that go through suffering and the ones that walk away from God are the ones that won't fight. It's as if Job's on the field and he's calling fouls on God himself. And he has to call timeout after timeout because it's too much. But he stays in the game. That's faith. For 35 chapters, it goes back and forth, back and forth. You know where God is? Nowhere. No one's heard from God. Job never heard from God. Chapter 1 and 2, that was with Satan. That wasn't with Job. As his idiot friends continue to be idiots, God doesn't show up, doesn't correct them. When Job says all these things to God, and my target practice you, he doesn't come up and be like, no. He stays silent. Some of you going through suffering right now, and God is silent. We call that the dark night of the soul. Has the greatest opportunity to increase your faith more than the good times. But it's hard when he's silent. And you don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. Finally, out of the whirlwind, God shows up. But God does something that I'm not expecting because he's God and I'm not. And that's a really good thing. You don't want God to do what you want him to do all the time because that means he's not God. He shows up on his own terms and says some things to Job that Job needs to hear and I think we do as well. Look what happens. The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is, that, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who gives, you intu who gives intuition to the heart and to the instinct to the mind? Is it your wisdom that makes the hawk soar and spread its wings toward the south? Is it your command that the eagle rises to the highest to make its nest? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like this? All right, put on your glory and splendor, your majesty, your honor, majesty. And God goes on and on and on and on like this and then drops the mic. <laughs> Here's what I'm frustrated about. I'm like, God, how dare you? You put this man through suffering. You never once told him why. You never once told him the reason. You never one time revealed what was going on behind the scenes. All you did was question this man. Do you not have empathy? Do you not care? Again, I'm glad God doesn't handle things like I do. Because as God goes on for a long time asking these questions, all he's doing is defining wisdom. As we conclude our series on wisdom, if we get this right, we will be wise people. Ready? Write it down. It's easy. God is God and we are not. Period. If we live our life that way, then look out. You'll be the wisest person in your family, your workplace, your neighborhood, your house. God is God 
and you are not. I don't owe you an explanation, but I will show you myself. I don't need God to answer my whys, but I need him to answer with who? Whom can I trust? And in that moment, Job got it. Here's Job's response. I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far wonderful for me. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you that you must answer. Well, I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job says, look, who am I to question you? Nothing wrong with questioning God. We should. But then the day Job's like, I can question you, but who am I to question you? I can ask my questions, but you don't have to answer them for me. As long as I have you, I'm fine. And I understand some of you in this room are like, but Eric, you don't know the kind of suffering I've gone through. And you're right, I don't. But I look at a person who lost it all. And if he can say that, who am I to question God in that way? There's two lessons that Job learns, and I hope you and I will learn as well. The first one is this. There is order to the universe, and we cannot generalize from our personal pain that it is otherwise. Did you notice Job says, or God says to Job, you see the sun that sets and the sun that rises? That's me. Oh, you see the rain? That's me. The lightning? That's me. You see the hawk in the air? That's me. The eagle? That's me. Everything objectively that you see happen in the universe points to me. Subjectively, it doesn't feel like that. Subjectively, it feels like I don't exist. It feels like you don't want probably to worship me and you want to give up on me, just like a lot of us feel right now. But if we can take a step back and see the big picture, there is more going on than our own stories. And I'm not diminishing your story. But all I'm saying is it does not disprove that there's a God. In fact, there's two reasons why it proves there is. First of all, lesson number two says, God can use trials to build spiritual depth into our lives that would not happen otherwise. My mom lost her husband, my stepdad, in a, in a motorcycle accident a few years ago. And we didn't know anything about anything until we got the call, went to the hospital, he passed away. And at that point, my mom was going to church. She just got baptized, but honestly, that's really all she was doing. And now, my mom tells everybody about Jesus. I'm not kidding you. On a monthly basis, there are people will come into our Sandusky campus where I'm usually at. And be like, my mom, your mom invited me. Your mom invited me. Your mom invited me. I'm like, holy smokes, mom. Last week, we had a class about surviving the holidays for grief. My mom was one of the table leaders. She serves on Fridays at the pregnancy center here. She serves on Wednesdays at, Wednesdays at Nehemiah. I mean, she is just all out. And as much as I wish my stepdad was here, and I wish, as much as she would want him more than I would be here, she has become the person that God wanted her to be through pain. See, pain is a great teacher, but it teaches hard lessons. And yet, it's those hard lessons that make us who we are. It doesn't mean that we like pain 
We don't tell God, bring it on. Like, if that's you, we got to talk after this. That's weird, okay? None of us want to suffer. When we do, instead of turning our back on the Lord, maybe we open our hands and say, I receive what you have. And it's so funny. Think about all the lessons you've learned in your life. Why are you more empathetic? Why do you care more about people? When when did you see God the clearest? Through pain. It's a great teacher. It teaches hard lessons. It doesn't disprove God. I think it proves God that he will use the pain to make us into who he wants us to be. And the other reason? You see, Job never saw chapters 1 and 2, so he didn't see the conversation behind the scenes. He never got to see chapter 42. Go read chapter 42. It concludes by Job got everything back and then a lot more. God blessed him more than he even had before. Job did not see that from chapters 1 to 42, the beginning of it. But he trusted God enough that even if he didn't get everything back, he still concluded that he is good. And he had a small view of that. We who are here in 2023, have such a bigger view because if you fast forward to the Gospels, you see a God who doesn't just stay away from pain. He takes on pain. Our God in Jesus came to this earth. He didn't stay in a bubble. He didn't sanitize himself against pain. He literally walked into it. And I'm not just talking about the cross. He was betrayed like many of you. His family turned his back like many of you. His friends turned his back on him like many of you. Suffered loneliness, depression, all those things. Our God came into it, then took on the cross, terrible physical pain, but the spiritual pain was such that God, or Jesus had to cry out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was in that moment when Jesus still went through with it, died, rose again three days later. As an intellectual, logical person that I am, that makes sense to me. I can't believe in a God It just stays away. But a God who would come and suffer for me and then make a way for me to have eternal life, which starts here in this earth, that's different. And that's the perspective that we have. It's exactly what D.A. Carson says. In the darkest night of our soul, we have something to hold on to that Job never knew. We know Christ crucified. Christians have learned that when there seems to be no other evidence of God's love, they cannot escape the cross. Pain and suffering is what God's acquainted with. He put himself through it He came out on the other side, promises eternal life, that we can trust him here until we get there. So, what do we do? First of all, December 19th, whole three campus event at the Stusky Chapel. We named it Blue Christmas. It's just a way for you to grieve. Job cried out to God in grief, and so can we. So if you've grieved another holiday with loss of your spouse or grandparent or granddaughter or son and you want to grieve with others who are grieving, this is place is going to be for you that will remember that person together and hopefully see a little of what Job sees as well. For everyone else, I leave you with these words from Job. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand in the earth. In the end, Our God wins. Until then, I will trust the living God to get me to the end. He gives. Sometimes he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Lord, I just thank you for your word that, man, your word is not a sanitized version of you. I mean, we are reading a story of a guy that blames you. Thank you, Lord, that we can blame you as well. That we can have the faith to just go to you with how we feel. But thank you, Lord, that in the end, no matter how we feel, you are faithful. And that not only are you going to reign someday and all suffering will be gone, but until that day, we can trust you. Thank you for the cross as that reminder. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great Sunday.